This podcast is brought to you by Rototo. Experience intense space survival action in this mobile retro arcade game. A rotating shield is the only thing standing between the incoming alien horde and your inevitable destruction. How long can you last? Play now on iOS and Android. We have a special guest today. His beard is known as the oncoming storm. He's an expert on loving single-page web apps. Please endorse him on LinkedIn for single-page web apps. <laughs> Sam Pippen, how are you? I'm doing quite well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, Hi, Derek. Okay. For anybody not familiar with Sam, you're on RSpec Core. Yep. You love Ember and Angular. And what else? <laughs> what else? What else? What else? What else are you known for? I do, yeah, I mean, the aspect thing is the stuff I'm most known for. I uh, also do quite a lot of uh, consulting based in the UK. Uh, I do a lot of uh, helping teams with uh, making their Rails apps more performant, refactoring, helping them with tests, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. Cool. So when did Matchers become composable? Uh, Matchers became (laughs) composable uh, as part of the aspect 3 change okay so my understanding on the history of that is that um between the uh release of aspect 2.14 which is the final release in the two series and the release of aspect three uh work was done mostly by myron marsden who is the lead maintainer on aspect to make matches composable and that means that you know you can put uh, one matcher inside another, and aspect will match your data structure in a arbitrarily nested way. Yeah, and you get good messages from that as well, which is interesting. I feel like we're just starting to catch on to that now. Like the composable matchers thing is making its rounds at Thoughtbot right now, uh-huh. and people are like, "Oh, this got in there." Like we're, I think everybody was really focused on getting from two to three. Yeah, and then we kind of like relaxed a little bit, and then every once in a while, somebody's like, "Did you guys know you can do this on aspect three? It's yeah. like, oh, cool, this is really neat. Like, Spy was one that yeah. people were talking about a lot. Well, Spy was actually not a new feature. Oh, well, never mind then. In RSpec 3. It was just renamed from yeah. something. Yeah, so a little, little known fact is that uh, the CTO of ThoughtBot, Joe Ferris, is actually the one that right. implemented Spies in RSpec. And <laughs> those were available definitely in 2.14 and possibly one release earlier. Um, I'm not 100% on the history of that, but... Um, all we really did through Aspect 3 is we created aliases called mm-hmm. Spy, Instant Spy, mm-hmm. like, and so on, uh, that are actually just implemented as the corresponding double as null object. Right. So Aspect has this as null object method on all of its doubles, which makes them respond to all methods returning self so that you can effectively dot chain any call off that. And then spying allows you to observe all of the calls that were then made right. on that. I really liked when the spies landed. So thank you, Joe, because <laughs> it let me get rid of Mocha and, <laughs> and Born. And Born. Which I think that was why he did it, was because he was tired of maintaining Born. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, sure. Which were the gems we used for 
stubbing and mocking. Yeah. Whatever. It, if I make Mock. this feature in our spec, it will be someone else's problem. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's how pull requests work, work, right? It's like, here's some code I wrote. Please maintain it for the rest of your life. Right, yeah. yeah I think I did see that somewhere where it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly that, right? Like, I would like you to maintain this feature for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the mattress stuff was really cool. I was really excited when I saw it because I've, uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff with Hamcrest matchers lately. Okay. And it's just been really nice. You have like any of, all of, that sort of stuff. Are you familiar with Hamcrest? No. It's, it's a, a Java it's thing, a, right? Yeah, it's a JUnit library. Okay. Um, it's, it's what basically everybody uses for a DSL that's closer to our spec in Java. Sure. Um, and the matcher objects there were just really nicely designed in terms of composition. And... Is it, I'm, I saw dot and is there a dot or as well? Yeah, Auspec has a dot or yeah. as well. So the, yeah, so there's and the, and the equivalents would uh, like it would be a function in Java where the function's any of and then that would take an arbitrary number and then that does. Yeah, yeah it's really we have cool. matches for any and all as well and yeah, other you know arbitrary crazy nesting stuff. Yeah, it's really cool though. I really like it. I'm happy now. Thanks. So thank you. <laughs> Although, like, I didn't do very much. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it that you're into in our spec these days? Um, most all of the committing work that I do is to do with our spec mocks. Actually, I think I have probably have the most commits in that one, and that's because our spec mocks sees the most interesting breakages of any of the parts of our spec. And okay. The core reason for that is that. Um, that's the part where we have to get like really intimate with the objects that users pass into the framework. Like most of the rest of our spec is dealing nearly all of the time with our spec objects, right? Or at the very most has to do like equality comparisons. Mm -hmm. But our spec mocks does like removing methods from objects, putting new methods onto those objects, putting the old methods back and like a bunch of shenanigans around that and obviously with things like any instance that becomes more complicated and so basically all of the tickets that get filed against RSpec on github these days that are genuine bugs as opposed to like feature asks or like tweaks to formatting or whatever are in RSpec mocks and it's because like a user has concocted an object which is really interesting so like for example um the Ruby method send is used to like take a symbol and send a method to an object, right? Mm -hmm. Some people uh, like have an email class which has a send method on it, which totally does not do that. Yes, we yep. have, yes, we've run into those <laughs> issues before. <laughs> and so our spec internally uses double underscore send double underscore mm -hmm. everywhere now yep. to ensure that like we don't get tripped up by that one and then there's like other stuff like what happens if an object gets frozen during the execution of a test that has mocks upon it um what if the users redefine the method method uh <laughs> which like is oh, a yeah, really request obvious thing to do in an http library yeah. right so actually the way we solve that problem is we take the uh, instance method object method off kernel and rebind it, it yeah. to user objects when we need to do that. Mm -hmm. Like prepend was another one that did interesting, and so like it's just all stuff like that. And so I find those bugs like super fascinating, right? Like, how did you end up in this state where like our mocking framework can't work with your object anymore, and then how do I fix it? Right. Yeah. Um, and like all of those fix, like those are that's where I sort of spend most of my time and then I do a lot of uh, I try to find time to triage issues as well because I live in the UK like I have the sort of time zone advantage where all of the issues that Europe files whilst we're awake I can like triage before America wakes up and then the other contributors have like issues Ooh. to work against hmm. you mentioned any instance uh-huh 
do you want that to die? How are your feelings on that? So actually, um, there was a feature proposal for Aspect 3 to make any instance configurable, so you could turn it on or off. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you can turn on and off the should syntax. We were also discussing making those methods unavailable via a configuration option, which would probably have been turned on by default in Aspect right. 3. But, um, you know, we're moving to this place where Aspect is very configurable, but you can deactivate the parts of it that you don't like. Right. That said, I find that most of the time you don't want to reach for any instance, but right. sometimes people do, and being able to turn it on is like a useful thing to have, right? Um, There are certainly no plans to ever remove any instance from RSpec. Like, I've I've looked into it before. I've looked into the code for it before and been like, oh, boy, this looks like a lot of maintenance. Like, (laughs) Yeah, so, like, one thing that I observe that is echoed by a lot of people is that code that goes into gems, and especially really mature ones like RSpec, looks wildly different to any kind of application code that you're ever going to write. Um, Because the abstractions that you need are different, and also like the the literal interface to your application is different, right? Um, I think there are definitely parts of RSpec that could have the internals improved in a big way, but like everyone that works on it has limited time and yep. you know we're all working as hard as we can and i it's fair to say that like everyone on the team is like a really good developer as well right? are they though why are you on this podcast and not fixing our spec bugs right now <laughs> I, I feel like you could be working harder <laughs> well sean whose fault is that sorry we need god we need godfrey on here we need to we need to replace this right now with godfrey going sorry <laughs> yeah the uh the any instance thing like you made the perfect like there're just times when you're like you know, it'd be nice right here (laughs) if I just call any instance. Like I was working with Melanie, one of our developers um, months ago, and we were trying to figure out how to, we wanted to stub this object, but then it required, it was found from this other method. We're like, okay, we're going to stub this thing to return this object. And then like, we just couldn't get it to work. And she's like, ah, get any instance. And I was like, (laughs) like, "Uh, okay, let's do it. (laughs) I do find it's a thing you reach for when you're dealing with legacy code also. For sure. When you can't, like you just cannot re-architect it to use dependency injection. Yeah. And that used to be, like it used to be, I believe the like generators for controller specs used any instance at one point, right? Where it was like, maybe. so you could say like, maybe it was so you didn't have to stub find or something like that. I forget exactly. Sure. Yeah, I I can't recall the exact specifics of that either, but um, I do know that the reason any instance was added was a big push by Andy Linderman, who was the lead maintainer of Aspect Rails for a while. So uh, it's fair to assume that that has a use in Aspect Rails and testing Rails in general. But like, I agree with you, Sean, that like sometimes you need any instance for testing legacy code, and obviously like. Of the two testing frameworks that anyone uses in Ruby, RSpec is much more amenable to testing legacy code than Minitest, right? Because, like, at least the way I think about RSpec, and I think maybe some other people on the core team share this, is um, that RSpec is a tool that lets you write literally any test you can think of, and it's up to you to decide whether or not the test that you're writing is a good test, right? Because, like... The the mocking and stubbing capabilities in RSpec really do let you do anything to any object anywhere in the system. And then it's like it's up to you to know whether or not what you're doing is a good idea. And so like if you're refactoring some like really glued together horrible legacy architecture, then maybe you need any instance. But if you're like greenfielding a new Rails app or even like a not Rails app, you you probably don't, right? 
It's just such a strange idea to hear you say that, because in Ruby, it feels like we're so used to everything. Ha- everything is really opinionated. Uh-huh. And just the idea that, like, we're just a tool that is going to let you do whatever the hell you want, and we don't uh-huh. care, and it's up to you to decide if that's good or not. That just sounds so alien. Sure. Well, like, RSpec does have a small set of warnings that it issues that we have aggregated into best practices, but, like, as a tool, it is very, very flexible in yeah. what you can do with it. And maybe it's true that, like, that is alien, but RSpec is a very popular testing framework, so people clearly like this idea. Oh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't saying it's bad. <laughs> I was just saying it's, it's interesting and different. Uh-huh. Well, it's, and I think, especially for the people whose, like, core job it is to refactor other people's applications, like, RSpec is the only tool that they can use to get that done. Yeah. So why is that? Like, I'm not familiar... Like last night at the bar, we were talking about there was there's this rotating bar at the hotel we're staying. Yeah, at, and amazing. somebody somebody left a note on the side that said uh, RailsConf 2015 mini test or RSpec, and you had to check a box, and you're like that was like a, it was like a pull. And <laughs> so, so every time you go around, right? So every like the next person that spins around pulls it up and like checks off what they think. Uh-huh. And so like I was like ah oh, RSpec, and uh-huh. uh, Ellie, another one of our developers, was like why why RSpec and not mini test? And so like she wanted uh-huh. to get in this conversation, and I was like I I don't actually know. I don't like RSpec was what I learned, uh-huh. and so now RSpec is what I do. So I have no idea. Like when you say that RSpec can do anything, and Minitest is a little more opinionated. Like in what what types of things would I not be able to do with Minitest? Do you know? Okay, so I, I need to prefix this following <laughs> statement with the warning that I have an extremely biased opinion, given right, that I am on the RSpec core team. <laughs> perfectly fine, but <laughs> Minitest does not have the same set of stubbing and mocking capabilities that are available to you in RSpec. They're very, very limited. Mm-hmm. You can only stub... I need to make sure I get this correct. Nah, I'll you get don't. So don't worry about internet. it. <laughs> so, Minitest has a double-like double, double like object that is similar to RSpecs. I've looked for this. I, I mean, oh, oh, you mean Minitest mock? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Which is a double-like double object, right? It, well, sure, but the, but the order of calls becomes important. important. Yeah. So by, by default, the order of calls is important. Mm-hmm. Mini mocks do not respond to equal equal by default. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't auto-verify things that you do. And also you can't do the same set of stubbing and mocking on real objects. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to talk to Ryan Davis to find out exactly what those capabilities are because I can't, I don't have them memorized. But like, there is no any instance in Minitest. There is no stubbing on constants, right? Where, you know, in RSpec, you can use stub const to, like, mm-hmm. swap out the implement. And, like, the idea is, of course, that doing those things might be bad testing practice. And so Minitest does not let you do them. But I do find when I am writing Mini, like, when I do have to go into a client and they're writing Minitest, I'm not super familiar with it, but I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't stub this constant. Yeah, I really like. I don't want to have to rewrite this entire thing so I can inject my dependency. I just want to stub this constant. Right. Can I do that, please? Right. Yeah. Like, exactly. <laughs> and and that's the thing, right? Like when you're maintaining other people's code or dealing with legacy code, you're a, a, a lot more likely to reach for these things. Whereas uh-huh. with Greenfield, like you do, just build it with dependency injection from the get go. But, right? but like the whole point of Minitest is it's the testing framework by Ryan Davis for Ryan Davis, right? Or at least. That's probably that's probably a bit too aggressive. <laughs> um, but what I mean by that is, like, Ryan has a very particular style of writing his code. Uh, he thinks that style is good. Minitest is the test framework that is optimized to support writing code in that style. Right. Other people have definitely, like, merged patches into it, but it has, like, a clear vision of, like, 
this is for the people that want to test greenfield apps in a like super strong tdd way and do it completely correctly and you can't like screw up your tests in such a way that you're going to hate yourself in six months right mm-hmm. and like in our spec you can totally do all of those bad practice testing things um yep. one that i see that like shocked me the first time i saw it is people stubbing the object under test yep. which is mm-hmm. just simply impossible in me it test. happens all the time like i yeah. review code all the time especially yeah. in controller specs a lot and right in, and in view specs view specs there's almost no way around it like yeah. sometimes you have to just stub the view for current user or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I then question the usefulness of view specs. but Yeah, same with controller tests, especially if you're trying to isolate things like your controller is your main function. You wouldn't try and test your main function in isolation. Interesting. Well, I mean, but you can... I, don't, I think there's fewer good reasons to stub the subject under test when you're in controller specs than when, there are, when you're in view specs. Like, when you're in controller specs, if you want to stub current user, you can just fake out however current user gets set. Sure. sure. Right? So, like, I'm, like, very strongly of the opinion you should never, ever stub the object under the test. Like, that, that for me is the, like, number one testing smell. Like, when I see that, yep. I am certain there is something wrong. But, like, it's interesting that you, you mentioned not testing controller specs in isolation, especially with regards to the keynote this morning and some of the other things that have been bouncing around at the conference, because, um... I apparently think about controller tests in a different way to at least Aaron. Because to me, uh, the purpose of a controller test is to sort of, on one side, test sending the method coming in. And basically, the, the get and post there are just merely wrappers around faking up the like Rails request object, and you're actually right. sending the method. It's not about the HTTP request at that point. But and, it and, is, though, because it's a controller. That's like, that is its responsibilities, HTTP. But that's what you're testing when you get higher. Sure. Like, all I'm testing... Like, when I do controller tests, and I was thinking about this but as the, well, like... But then the other side is testing the instance variables that come out. Because that's uh, the actual interface to the controller, is the re- request and the instance variables. Right, and, and well, and this is the argument that... I mean, this is what started coming out when we announced that we were deprecating assigns right. and uh, assert template in Rails 5, is uh-huh. that for some people, they see that as the return value of the controller. Yeah. I don't know, because... That's, to me, that seems like if you were to take an object, mm-hmm. stub out a private method, mm-hmm. and then assert that called that private method. Like, if you rename the template, that's not a thing that should cause your test to fail. That's, no, so I agree. I usually don't assert on the template, but I do assert on the instance variables. And that's because that's what, like, the actual interface, right? It's, yeah. it's sort of the same as testing that parameters are getting passed correctly to a command method by mocking. But, but you also just argue that view specs aren't necessarily helpful. Like, if, sure. you're, ju- if you're just testing that called, the, it, it, it has the right inputs to this template, but you've never then tested that when given the right inputs, it right, does the right but, thing. So then you would write an integration test. Right, but like you, and the C. key being you can write an integration test that covers most of those things, and then you can write a controller spec that covers some of the edge cases without having to do the integration test, right? Right. So, like, what I would do, what I do controller specs for a lot is, like, does it handle this error condition gracefully? Uh-huh. That's what I do them for. Sure. And I think I could probably, if, if integration tests were much faster, I could probably replace that with integration tests. Yeah, so like, I find the idea that speeding up the integration feature tests is going to be a, a big help from that point of view. I mean, certainly, 
removing assigns is going to change the way that controller tests are implemented. Period. The end. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, that's the thing. When you remove those two, those two things, there, it was, it was like Aaron showed. The main difference is that you pass a path and not the name of an action. Right. Exactly. And you do actually gain a lot. Like if you've ever tried to pass a custom header. Uh, mm-hmm. Request header to the controller, like it's it's a pain in the ass in controller tests. If mm-hmm. uh, because we skipped the entire middleware stack, there's some weird funky things that you like. You might want to uh, assert that it returns a 404, but it's not. You're going to assert raises active record record not found because the middleware that that rescues that isn't there. And sure, but some things are e- some things are easier to test in a controller test, like like session, right? So like. It's easier for me to set a session up in a controller test than it is for me to do it in an integration test. Uh, all of the methods, literally every other method in integration t- uh, in controller, other than assigns and assert template, there's an equivalent. But if I'm in running the entire test. stack, right, isn't my session going to get clobbered by what my actual session is? Only, uh, only with Capybara. Right. If you just right. call get, if you just call get in the okay. in the integration sure. test, then no. Sure. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> and then that's the other thing is is, is all of the discussions that are happening, uh, like in the, in the Rails team and, and in in Aaron's mm-hmm. keynote and in David's keynote, like uh-huh. don't assume Capybara, uh, right? Because it, because it's not, and, and there's it, it has been discussed whether Capybara should be in our stack by default, and it has been actively chosen not to be, right? But then RSpec just gives it to you, so. right? And everybody uses it, but uh, yeah, when I think integration tests, I think Capybara tests. I don't right. make an integration test for anything. Maybe I would do a request spec for like an API. And that's right. it. But that's what I mean, just to give context as to where those arguments are coming from. They are not assuming Capybara, so mm-hmm. sure. Okay. And actually, like, I guess the point is request specs, controller specs, pick one. Right, and uh, the Rails core team has just decided that everyone has to pick request specs now, right? Yep. Or integration tests, as Rails calls them, and like okay. that's that's fine too. And I think it's it's maybe just a matter of personal style, right? Yeah. Um, I certainly know um, Sarah May. The first thing she does when she walks up to a new client application is she turns on render views in the controller specs. And at that point, you are literally just writing request tests without the router. Like, yeah. that, that is the majority of the difference, right? Yeah. Um, That's funny, because the first thing I do is when I see render views on controller <laughs> specs, is I turn it off. <laughs> yeah, so like... Well, actually, I assume that that's how they're doing integration tests, and I go, oh, we yeah. should be doing this differently. But. yeah. But that's perfectly fine. Like maybe I should stop doing that. And be like, no, this is just the highest level. I mean, for the longest time, it was kind of the highest level that people tested at. Sure. Well, it it is. It's the highest level in your application, though. Like that is exactly it is. It is your main function. Uh huh. Without any of the middleware, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which you know handles everything. But you know, other than that, we do handle a lot in middleware. True. <laughs> true story. Can confirm. But now it will have the middleware, I guess. So yeah, yeah. In Rails five, question. Uh, <laughs> that was what Aaron yeah. said. Well, yes. <laughs> presumably Rails five won't go out the door until this is settled and finished. So, yeah, well, I mean, Rails five is going to go out in August ish, ish, pretty well, much, no matter what. There's a date. Big announces. <laughs> there's I mean, a reveal. When are we getting the source code for Action Cable? When are we getting the source code for Action Cable? <laughs> we would all like to see this. Yes, I agree. Uh, there are a lot of discussions and concerns that need to be addressed that we cannot even begin the discussions until we can see some source code. Sure. So I was quite ill, so I slept through most of the keynote, but I had it live streaming in my hotel room. Um, and the one, the one part I heard that uh, sort of piqued my attention was um, a mention of it using Redis directly. Yes. So, like, at the moment, right, Rails has adapters for all databases that it 
knows about, right? Like, it has a Postgres adapter and it has a SQLite adapter and so on. And, like, <laughs> are we hoping that some of that code will be reusable into Action Cable? Or, like, we'll get a Redis adapter for Action Cable? Or Well, no, I mean, it's not using Redis as a replacement for a persistent data store. It's using Redis to, to handle PubSub. Sure. No, no, I get that, but... I guess there are other, I mean, like Postgres totally has a PubSub mechanism built into it. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was thinking of Uh, uh, when he was talking about that was like, shit, I think I'm going to have to add Postgres PubSub support to to, uh, ActiveRecord now. Yes! Because like, (laughs) Redis is great and all, but it's got some reliability issues. And, um, you know, if the whole point is to get things like notifications or chat messages down to... Uh, web apps faster than like reliability is going to be pretty essential right and i guess the other thing that i'm interested to hear about is uh transport negotiation um because that's like really hard for like web browsers and long and like long-running connection systems right like I mean, is this basically what we just talked about with Sam, with Sam Saffron? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, yes. We, we uh, he was because he was talking about uh, Message Bus and uh-huh. specifically why it no longer uses WebSockets and the issues they've had with WebSockets. Sure. And the fact that he does not think that we actually gain anything from using WebSockets over over well implemented long polling. Right. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't know the answers uh, to these. You have as much information <laughs> as I do. Sure. I, I'm just, I just enjoy speculating wildly um, yeah. and gesticulating. Yeah, don't wait for the facts. Just No. Well, like, so um, a good friend of mine, a guy named James Coglin, works on a WebSocket PubSub framework called Fay. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the parts of Fay is a subsystem called uh, Bayou, which is a uh, transport negotiation for long-running connections between a web browser and a server that is aware of this. And mm-hmm. he was just like, by the way, <laughs> implementing transport negotiation in web browsers is a nightmare. Yeah. But if you don't do it, you're definitely going to drop messages. If you do do it, you're only likely to drop messages. <laughs> 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 so yeah, the other thing that like I find really interesting about all this is that like for the longest time... Rails has been, like, restful HTML rendering apps as a, like, very high-speed, like, Ruby command line, right? And in fact, two years ago, uh, David, like, his keynote was Rails is the best at server-side rendering ever, the keynote. And now, like, Rails is getting all of these front-endy bits. And I feel like that's almost a bit of a contradiction, right? Yeah, I mean... uh Keep in mind, also, David's not the only one sure. pushing for for a lot of this, and 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 the Rails API thing was something that a lot of people have been pushing for for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's actually very little practical difference. Like, sure, the, the the diff in that pull request was larger than I expected it to be. But um, you know, the 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 idea is we strip out view rendering stuff, right? Because we're never going to render views, and that'll make everything faster and more lightweight. Mm-hmm. Except it really doesn't actually change the performance characteristics in any meaningful way, right? But the fact that there is a Rails new hyphen hyphen API and something is being done does have an emotional value to it. Like it's more of a, just a statement of like, hey, we want you guys using Rails as well. Sure. I do think we need to switch uh, to active model serializers though as the default JSON uh, generation for APIs. Good luck uh-huh. with that. It's being it's being discussed and and it's leaning towards that for API specifically. JBuilder still being the default for apps that serve both HTML oh, okay. and JSON, but. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually starting to, I think, reach a consensus that just if you're building an API, the, the Active Model Serializes API makes a little bit more sense. Sure. Because um, the single canonical representation becomes much more important. Yeah, right. Like, you don't want your tree of nested JSON values to look 
funky. You, right. You want them always to look the same. Yeah. Well, and you, and you just you want show to give the exact same thing as index, but in array form. Yeah, for sure. Right. And this is. I mean, you partially get that with the like format blocks now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you it, you can definitely do it with both. I don't know, but. Anyway, it, yes, it is a contradiction, but uh, <laughs> going back That's to That's okay. The, we can have contradictions. It's been two years. Right? Yeah, sure. We, we've had a whole major version of Rails. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's... Um, I contradict myself all the time. I hope people don't hold me to that standard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I contradict myself every episode. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Every pull request almost. <laughs> Yeah. What else? I know you got to run at like two thirty, right, or something. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to plug, or anything else you're really excited about? Um, things I want to plug. <laughs> um, I mean, I like doing consulting in the U.S. I'm available. You can email me at sam at funandplausible dot com, which is okay. my email address, or find me on Twitter right. or whatever. Right. We'll link both of those things in the show notes. Yeah. We are going to have to bleep out your email address. We can't have we can't have a competitor pitching on air. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm the worst. Um, yeah, I don't know, really. I'm terrible at pitching. Watch my talk video. I did a talk at the conference. Oh, how'd it go? Uh, I think it went quite well. You said I, you weren't feeling well. Yeah, I was really ill uh, yesterday morning, and that, like, carried over. And I, I, like, I had a really, like, bad headache, but some people said it was good. So. Powered through it. Yeah. Good job. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was in the beginner track, so, like, not too much pressure, right? Um, we were talking at the same time, so I didn't get to see. Uh, him there, and I also didn't get to see it because I was at his. Being, time. I, I made him emotional come to mind. moral support. Yeah. <laughs> Great. All right. All right. Cool. Let's Thanks, wrap up. guys. Yeah. Let's wrap up. Um, show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm/slash19. Thanks again to our guest Sam Pippen. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any others, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm, or leave feedback on the website. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time.